0: we
1: sorry y'all everybody excuse me i'm on the wrong page i hit the wrong one black voice now let's see put it there we go i'm sorry everybody i apologize we live as hell now but it's (laughs) It's The the teachers the teachers the teachers teachers my brothers and sisters of color we gotta do better no survival in this era if we turn it on each other like a family reunited they hate it when we together now let's talk about it listen to the teachers let them take you want facts behind your questions dr rick give them man followed by wise words introducing dr michael Blanche. many guests and activists every week leading
0: by example when there's problems there's solutions together we are the answer the The teachers. teachers
1: hey everybody dr rick wallace here dropping in uh this is going to be exciting uh today we have filmmaker tony Lindsay in the house i'm going to introduce you to him in a minute we have my ace uh dr michael blanchett uh just call him doc shizzy for short right now he, he's he's putting on all kind of hats around here. he's producing producing music now that 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 uh intro was all him and uh his artist. so uh we, we're going to talk more about all the things we're getting into a little bit later. Uh, I want to remind everybody that we're still pushing the fundraiser for Black Man Lead, uh, the Rite of Passage Initiative, and the work we're doing in mental health for young Black males ages 4 to 30. Uh, it's important that we get behind that. If you have not shown your support, the uh, information to show your support is in the description box. I want to get right off into this. Um. I actually came across Tony Lindsay from a post that he had posted and we obviously can't get into the specifics of it because we're not trying to get dinged, but he was talking about the pandemic and I right. said, okay, here's somebody who's thinking. And then he's in New York. So it's a whole nother environment there. And so he's talking about it and he's going hard in the paint. He's giving the politicians the business. And I didn't know, who he was at the time. I just like, okay, he's on my page. So some kind of way we came across each other and I thought enough of the brother, you know, to befriend him online. And so I said, okay, you know, that's cool. And then I started to pay attention to his interactions with his son. And I, 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 shared this with him earlier that that's what really captivated me was the type of father he was to his son. Um, and I think it's immensely important that we have these relationships. And it's hard sometimes because different things happen, you know, especially when you start talking about being a single parent or being a parent that's no longer with the mother of your child and how that works out and how that pans out. It's it's not always easy because emotions are involved. But anyway, that started it. Then I come to find out he interviewed uh, Dr. Uh, Cleo Manago and myself on topics about men. And that just brought us even closer and in, 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 in seeing how committed we were and then the commitment
2: he has. And so he has a film. Has it dropped yet, Tony? Uh, uh, yes, 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 yes. It's currently out. It's playing on several platforms, uh, Fox Soul and uh, 2B, Amazon Prime streaming platforms all over.
1: Okay. And so uh, the name of the film is Where Hearts Lie. And man, I'm telling you, uh, got one of my favorite actors in there, Clifton Powell, uh, Malik Yoba, uh, a couple of other notes, Aaron, Aaron Sanderson um, in there. Uh, the soundtrack is dope. You got Akon, B.O.B., Selena Johnson, Bobby Valentino, Corey Finesse, Venor, and some more on there. I mean, it's it's it, 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 it's not, you know, you hear independent filmmaker, and you go, oh, here we come with these B-rated black movies trust me the the quality i'm a film fanatic uh i break everything down from the cinema cinematography uh the soundtrack the timing uh i mean uh so much more than just the storyline but the storyline's great uh, uh you know obviously there's tragedy there's that's triumph there's understanding it but it is a panoramic look into what we so many of us deal with in relationships when we don't choose the right person. That's right. And it, it, it's exciting. so Tony, let's right off the top, man. Tell me what
2: inspired you to go this direction with this particular film? Well, I mean, a couple of reasons. I would say the primary reason um, is I, I'm very driven uh, to, like you said, like I heard in your intro, to repair Black relationships. So it was kind of interesting when I was listening to your intro uh, song, like it really goes to the heart of why, of what really inspired me to, you know, do this movie. And it was also uh, loosely based upon, you know, my own experiences as a single Black parent and, you know, just a Black man, you know, trying to navigate uh, this thing that we call relationships, and I, I my goal was to offer the male perspective, uh, the black male perspective, particularly when it comes to our relationships, without doing it in a way that denigrates black women. But does, but I, I try to do it in a way that can uh, provide some type of exposition to some of the issues that we that both black men and women have. In relationships and the unrealistic expectations that we sometimes have, and and you know some also the hastiness that we engage in that leads to the breakdown in those relationships.
1: It, it's, it's funny that you're mentioning this because uh, I um, have actually been pulled into a conference that's coming up that's being headed by a very dynamic woman out on the west coast, Dr. V. And uh, we have a, an associate in common who works for her, who's aware of me, That said, hey, you need this guy. It's, a, it's actually a conference on healing trauma with black women. Mm-hmm. But the title of the conference is Healing With Him. And the, right. and, and the idea is if you got black men healing over here and you got black women healing over here, that's still the get guff in between. Exactly. And so the idea is and she said what I don't want to reach she said Dr. Rick the reason I want you on here to give perspective of men and to bring men in to see what's going on and to create a bridge she says you're the only person I've seen that I think can create the bridge of trust
2: exactly. between
1: black women and bl- black men right now because of how you cater to black women but and but how you love on black men and what what she was saying is what I don't want to do is put all this work in on healing black women and send them home to men who can't understand where they're at, and they can't understand them, and undo everything I've done. So you actually have to heal together, so that the mending actually brings you into a bond together, and you heal. And so when you're talking about this, the thing, the word you used that was that that triggered my 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 my, my uh, recollection of that conversation that we just had while putting this together was. You want to tell you want to give the perspective of black men without denigrating black women. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have is you've got someone championing championing their own uh, cause and their fight. Mm-hmm. But in the process of doing so, they're doing it in a way that the verbiage is offensive to the other side, even if unintentionally. Right. Like, most of the time, I think it's unintentionally. Now, we have we do have some out there that don't care. that are actually vitriolic towards the other side. Yeah. Women and men. So we have those. We're not talking about those. There's a lot of hurt that has got to, that's way deep that needs to be dealt with on a personal level before we can ever talk about relationships with with people who are that angry and hostile towards the other sex. I'm talking about people who want to love, but don't trust. That's right. Who have some bad experiences behind them and then are going like, whatever, because it uh we talked about my relationship with my wife now and she said how did you get there i said well first of all i had to be honest with myself after i failed that marriage the first time and i had to search me and find out okay yeah i i ended it and it was you know my choice it wasn't anything i did wrong but i but how did i contribute to it well number one is i i chose to be there I I ignored the signs. And it doesn't mean that that person was a bad person. It means it wasn't a good fit. Okay, so that's the other thing, the idea that because you look at someone and you think they're a good person, that they're a good fit. Because your vision and your journey need somebody that plugs into it. Your vision and your journey can't be snatching someone out of their purpose and putting them into an environment where they don't fit. And then it leaves them like, okay, I gave up everything to be here with you. To, no, it should merge.
0: Right.
1: Her vision and her vision and her goal and her dreams for her life should merge with yours. That should be a connectivity. And it should be room for growth. And we don't see that. But when I look at the clip, and I really wanted to play it. But like I said, we we, I know you own the rights to it. It's your film. But what happens is when we play something that has a copyright on it, I won't get A strike for it, but I get a ding, and after so many dings, it starts to mess with my 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 channel health. So I don't get as many visits. My revenue goes down. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, anything
1: when you do when you start checking your site health, any little thing that's got red on it, it it's telling you that it's infected. It's negative effective. So those copyright, they're not even strikes; they're bleeps. But it takes the site health down. They're like you know. So I'm trying to manage those, but Uh, it's a 30-second clip. I got the link in the box, though, so for those who are watching, you got to check it out. Like I said, the first thing that came across to me wasn't the storyline. Storyline is off the chain. What came across to me is the level of quality and attention to detail that you don't see in a lot of unheard of independent filmmakers. And knowing you and having, you know, paid attention to you from a distance, I, I see in everything you do from the way you deal with your kid to the way you handle your whip all these things I pay attention to everything you 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 got a thing for detail right yes okay. I do. So, so so talk to me about how all of this came together
2: yeah I, I I think the well first of all I've been a movie buff I'm I'm a I'm an artist I'm an artist just by nature I mean I like I said, I started off in the music industry you know, um, uh, as a producer, uh, vocal arranger, singer. um, And I've always been very detail-oriented because I think it's always in the details where you establish the connection to your audience. That's how you relate to your audience. So when, even with the approach, you know, to my businesses, you know, I'm also an entrepreneur. I just, I'm a person that is very, very hyper-focused on quality, because you know as a movie buff myself, you know, I'm very critical. I'm very critical of, of, of movies. I'm very critical of music because you know I'm also a musician. I'm very critical of business because I'm a businessman. I'm just hyper critical. When I'm saying critical, not in a negative manner manner, but I, I just like to focus on details because I just I just love to connect as much as possible. So I know the best way to establish a connection, is by providing so much detail, which makes things more relatable and more beautiful when it comes to film. You know, and people will take it more, I guess, more seriously. They'll be drawn in more. So while, like, even, like, with the case of my film, you know, I executive produced the film myself. Like, I paid for everything. I foot the bill. Like, I wrote it. I directed it. I produced it. <laughs> you know, I did a lot of the editing of the film myself and this was actually my first time out but i think when you're when you know what you're trying to create it it's really not that hard to bring it to fruition cuz you know if it's bad you know if it looks trash you know what i'm saying we've seen a lot of like independent films that they may you know have a great story but a lot of things like in the film industry that kind of destroys your film one thing that most people don't even realize that destroys your film is sound just the audio itself, you can have beautiful cinematography, but if the sound is trash, it destroys everything in the film. You know, so I just really tried my best to uh, make sure that I was very detailed and very precise, as precise as possible in everything that I was putting together in the film. And I think the story drove it as well. It, it, It helped to drive it with all the detail, and the storyline and you know tossing a couple of celebrities you know that I could barely afford at the time <laughs> you know <laughs> that
1: that 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 was that's the next question I'm I'm like um how many independent fi- filmmakers first time out right end up with Clifton Powell and Malik Elba
2: <laughs> and Terrell Hicks Yeah. Um, yeah, she she was in Belly, Keisha from Belly. She was on right. Bronx Tale, right? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I do have um, relationships in the industry, but with the, with the case of Clifton, I really had well, my my co producer, she had worked on him like like many like years before, but it was kind of difficult to reach Clifton because he was out in L.A. at the time. So, you know, you go through the channels, like you look up the, the manager information, IMDB, you, you send out emails and you kind of hope that they'll get back to you. So I sent out the script. You know, I sent the script to a bunch of people. Listen, I sent the script to, um, oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, uh, from Lethal Weapon, I, I, I I'm the, the black guy. Um, Danny Glover? Danny Glover, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And he lives here in New York City. He's He lives in Harlem. But when his people got back, there was no way I could do it because I just couldn't afford him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the thing that I love about Clifton, we know Clifton has been in like every movie. Like this guy is no joke. He's an outstanding actor. And, yeah. and, and he's got great range too. Yes. Yes. And the thing is, it was one thing to get him to accept the role, Right. But another thing is like, oh, man, I'm worrying about the price because, you know, this guy, he was in, in Ray with Jamie Foxx, Oscar nominated film. He's been in like some of the some of the films from my childhood that I just love. Like he's he's this man has been in the industry for what, like 50 years or 40 something years. So. Um, surprisingly, I mean, well, let me not say surprisingly, He he we, we never heard anything from him and it was like when we were down to the wire we finally got a response from him i guess something got tied up in in i don't know red tape and he loved it like he loved the film he said he really connected with the script and because he connected so much with the script I, he was i believe he was very um amenable to you know the the fees you know what i'm saying you know he he you know when we when we met he talked a lot about how he really believed in the film, but not only that, he really connected to the story as a, a black man and as a black father. And what I've seen from that storyline and, and from every person that I've presented the script to, they really did love the the, the premise of it. They love, you know, just the, the whole overall angle. And what's funny is after the premiere, because we did a premiere here in New York City at AMC Theater, um We sold out, like, multiple theaters just for the movie premiere. Everybody came out. Clifton was there. Terrell was there. Like, like a bunch of people. A lot of the artists on the film were there. Um, Bobby V was there. And the most striking thing to me was after the movie was done playing, like, when the movie was finished, so many people came to me afterward, especially men, just telling me all of their stories and how they really related to so many aspects of the film, so I was very, you know, pleased just to see the connection that the story made with so many people. Because, you know, as a filmmaker, that's what you want—you want to connect with your audience. So as I'm sitting in the audience, and you know, I know I wrote this part hoping that someone would laugh, and then you see the whole movie theater, you know, dying with laughter. And then, you know, at another part, there's a part that's really touching. When I was writing it, and then you see people crying, like clifton was actually crying at one point in the movie and man that that just made me feel so good man just to know that people can connect to the story and that's what kind of confirmed it for me that this is really something that i want to continue to do as a filmmaker bring these stories you know that that enlighten people to some of the things that we're probably unable to see due to you know a lot of the ills of society and the contention and the fighting sometimes we just need to sit down and just watch, just just observe. You know, just I'm sorry, just to keep running my mouth, but like, um, it's easy to argue with a person, right? When you argue with someone, you know, a lot of times we don't realize that we're just waiting for them to finish their part and it, just so we can jump in, but we're not really listening. But something that I always like used to think was like you can't argue with a letter, right? So when you write a letter to someone. You could pour all your thoughts out, but it's the same thing with filmmaking. Put it out there; they can't argue with the film. <laughs> it's right there in front of you, and it presents to you that other perspective. So you, you got to sit there and you got to see it. You got to soak it up, and and you know that's you, how you, you, get you, you know it what film
1: comes to mind. I'm kind of at odds with this dude right now because of where he's going and how dark he's getting. But you know what film comes to mind when I think about that? Where There's two sides to the story, and they both have validity, but you are forced to look at the other person's side in this movie is acrimony uh, with Tyler Perry, with uh, Taraji P. Henson. Yes, yes. That movie, because there's two sides of that. There's there's a side where it took him forever for his dream to come true, and she stood there by him. And she was there with him through all that stuff, and you know they grew apart, and it became dark, and it became miserable. Mm-hmm. But that was also the side that said she from from the day before he ever got with her, she had some issues, some anger control issues, uh, anger mm-hmm. management issues that made it dark, and she had some things that, and so it made you see both sides. And so that's it, real quick. Then I'm gonna let Doc uh, ask ask some questions, and because you know uh, he'll just sit there. <laughs> You know, he'll just sit sit there you know um but I have my own Clifton Powell story you know uh that back in the day that was another Rick just put it like that that was another Rick the athlete the person who owned like I say I come from a musical family too so I saw I actually had a a, a, a a an entertainment company right so I was in a lot of different places I was an athlete whatever but I met Clifton matter of fact I met Clifton. On the day that Aaliyah died, oh, and so our conversation was kind of somber, but it showed me just how down earth and real Cat was. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, like we sitting there, and he's like, and and the way he comes is kind of like, kind of like pops. You know, the conversation, the way it flows, it's like you know, Ooh. hey, it's weight and it's smooth, but it's weight. It got weight to it. Whatever you saying, you listening? Right. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and so I, I, I remember that conversation, man. But like, we're going to go another level. But I want Doc uh, uh, to come in because, again, we're talking about relationships. This is a man who has a beautiful uh, brood of daughters. Um, he is effectively managing a very difficult situation, which I admire him for. Doc, I don't even think we talk so much and we deal with each other because we're not just business partners. Right. We're friends. But we did. But the ability for you to be across the country doing what you have to do to hold hold it down, and your wife is up in uh, Indianapolis, South Bend, uh,
0: Bend.
1: South Bend, Indiana. I'm sorry, South Bend, Indiana, and all the things. Then your mom is up there, and all that stuff. But you're managing that, so you you got your own look at just what it yeah. takes.
0: Yeah, both mothers. I mean, I have an adopted mother and I have a uh, uh, biological mother, and it's interesting because my biological mother actually takes care of my adopted mother, who's ninety-one. So, uh, oh. yeah, So I went yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's kids, interesting. And back and found my uh, biological mother, and I've known her since uh, I was twenty-six. So it's a beautiful story, man. Hey, it could be a movie, man. You know. Yeah,
2: you yeah. know the, the juices were flowing just now, my <laughs> <opinion>. <laughs> right?
0: But Tony, um, one of my questions is, you know, everything starts from a vision, right? So, from the time when you first had the vision of creating a movie or creating this particular movie, um, from start to finish, what was that timeline like, and what were the challenges of being an, an independent filmmaker? And then my follow up is: Will you continue to stay independent, or will you uh, are you looking to, uh, you know, take offers from studios and and, and such?
2: Mm. Interesting question. Um, very good question. Well, as far as uh, the timeline is concerned and the process, I really I was actually writing a book based on my own life and. Trust me, it, it was it was good. It was get it was real good, but I have a friend who's uh, uh she's a, a producer. She's a does a lot of producing in television, and you know I just wanted a little opinion. You know I really trusted her opinion on things, so I was like, hey, you know, take a look at this. What do you think? And she was reading it, and she was like, wow, Tony, this would really make a great screenplay. Like this would this is this would be perfect as a movie, and I was like, mm, I don't know. So she convinced me and I adapted, I actually abandoned the book (laughs) and I adapted it to a screenplay. And, you know, you're going to add a little bit of, uh, a little sensationalism to it because, you know, it's a movie, you know, so you Mm want to add some little fiction here and there. And so in that respect, my movie is loosely based upon my own life and my experiences as a single father. And, you know, but it's also based upon just the overall dynamic that I see in the relationships that we have with each other as a community and, and uh, some of the dysfunction that we don't even realize doesn't even have to be dysfunction. You know, sometimes we just don't really understand that it's, 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 it's so simple, and listen, there are so many elements like, you know, undiagnosed mental illness. You know, we don't even realize how these things contribute to relationships. So like those little things, that's what contributed to it. Um, um, I would say that the timeline was, well, from when I took it, well, basically when I took it from, you know, a book to screenplay, basically I had to kind of start all over, to be honest. So I would be honest in saying that maybe it took me a, a few months, a hmm. few months not even that long. Yeah, it took me about two months to do the, the, the complete outline of the movie. And I'm not going <clears> to <throat> believe this, but I actually wrote the script in a week. <laughs> wow. And the thing is, I know it's it's supposed to be hard, but I think when it's something that you're so connected to and a lot of it you've lived yourself, I think it's it's easier. So that's the thing when 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 you truly believe in something and you're connected to a project and it really comes from the heart i don't want to sound corny but when it comes from the heart it's actually easy just like how when you say to people you know if you're you don't want to to just have a job for for, for the rest of your life you want to work in in a career that you love because right. then it won't feel like work so right. it didn't feel like work when i wrote this movie to be it's, honest it's funny that you say
1: that because in, in, in your thing, I guess my parallel will be books because I, I love writing. Now, of course, I love talking too. And you can tell that because I got thousands and thousands of video. When I do a video, when I'm doing this, we could do this all day and I'm, I'm in my zone. But when it comes to books, that was a period. I've got 23, I mean, 24 actually published. And when I say books, it has to be over 200 pages for me to call it a book. I've got some things that are smaller than that, that are published, that I don't call books. You know, I call them guides. I call them all kind of pamphlets and a bunch of other things. I need to talk th- to you. That the <laughs> thing is, you know, but that was a period. So everything that I've written that I consider a book, kind of, these are two of my books. Well, that's that's the third one. That's a small one. This one is, this one barely made the cut. This is 200 pages. Mm-hmm. Both of these are 400 plus. Let me see if I can get it in the screen. Okay. I I was writing two of these a year. And it didn't feel like work, did it? Man, I was in a zone. It's just, when, like I said, and I've got so much material of what I've written that I could literally probably right now, if I want to piece together a book, I could do it in a week Mm. because I'm constantly writing and I'm like, okay, then I'll just file it away. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put that in something one day and then, you know, and so that's how it goes. But when you say you wrote it in a week, I think that you, you were reluctant to say that because you don't want the process well, saying, to sound cheap. Oh, yo,
2: you didn't. Need yeah. to work but, it
1: but the through. thing is, yeah, what we have to do is we have to sometime lean into our gifting,
2: mm-hmm.
1: our genius, and that just speaks to a genius to me because what I saw in that thirty-second trailer. I'm going to stop calling it a clip. It's, it's a professional term for that clip, people. It's called trailer. And we're going to use the term trailer. So in that trailer is I'm going like, he did this. He did this. I, you know, And I, I remember seeing pictures because we were communicating around the same time about our interview that we were going to do together. And I remember seeing clips where you're actually consulting in your own set with, right. with Clifton Polly. And I'm like, is that Clifton Polly standing next <laughs> to? And, and you know, so that immediately dropped. But but there's a genius that comes with this too, that you cannot uh it's great to go to school. It's great to get the professional training, it's great to do all of that. But there are some people who are just simply gifted
2: naturally. To see inclined.
1: and feel. And you I- know, for, uh, for instance, my baby brother is. Uh, a, a professional drummer he's drummed with Kyle Turner Kenny Lattimore he toured with genuine uh back in the day t- tour with a bunch of others his son now is actually uh the drummer for Toby Inigwe, the the new rapper everybody's getting hooked up mm-hmm. that brings his yeah, whole yeah. tribe on stage with him yeah uh, my 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 nephew is the drummer my baby brother never took a drum lesson in his life one day he used to just sit in front of the drums at church. Every Sunday, one day the drummer sit up and say, Man, you want to get up here?
2: Four years old. Put him up there, went off. Oh yeah. Some yeah. of the most talented musicians they don't read music and they're just naturally inclined to music. Right. And I think that's kind of what I guess that's what it, it, it is that's inside of me when it comes to filmmaking. Um, you know, I I didn't go to film school and I know it's unusual for a first-time filmmaker for their first project to be feature film because typically when you're an independent filmmaker you know you might uh do some short films which is basically practice i mean you know you do the short films you do the the um like the film festivals and things of that nature now i did do a film festival run but my purpose in in doing that was not oh i'm gonna get a deal you know from a big studio like how you were you were asking doc like um you know the process for an independent filmmaker can be quite difficult. and But I also think it's the approach that you take to your filmmaking that also makes a difference. Now, I did do the film festival circuit. I actually did pretty well because I was racking up, I racked up like a dozen awards at so many different film festivals for like best um, editing, directing, like a lot. I got a lot of awards. So we did well. Um, But my primary um goal from the beginning was to just put it out so when when i put this film together my intention was to get it out by any means necessary i, I and you know that's why i invested listen i invested everything in that movie that came out my pocket you know i'm also a real estate investor and you know th- during that time you know i was selling a couple of properties l- doing some liquidation to to make other business moves so i took a big risk you know i spent I spent some money on this movie, you know, now compared to like all those other big budget movies, it wasn't that much, but for me, that's a lot of money. Right. You know, and you know, the, at the end of the process, I would say from beginning from script to screen, it took it. Well, we, we shot the movie, like the actual, when you shoot it, we, we shot it in three weeks. So that's typically how you do it. Like when you're gonna shoot a feature, it, it can be anywhere from two weeks to three months. But you know, you know, once you plan it out properly, you know, it was a, a steep learning curve for me as a new filmmaker, even to be, even as a director. Listen, I was googling stuff, I was watching YouTube videos, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out the the the, sl- the slang, the terminologies on set, everything. Because, but it wasn't even so much because I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing. Well, you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing, especially when you're leading a crew of a lot of people. But it was more so just so I could learn the process because I really love to learn new things. I love to challenge myself. So this was exciting for me. It wasn't scary at all. It was all exciting. And I also knew exactly what my destination was. And I think that's 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 key. Whenever you're embarking upon any type of endeavor, especially in business, you have to see the finish line. You got to see where you're going because everything else on that is just your journey. It's just the, the, the path that you're taking to get there. But you know you're going to get there. So from when I wrote the script, you know, we shot it in three weeks. The longest amount of time was in the editing. Now, the editing process, you know, it took um, about six months, about six months. And, you know, after that, you know, we just started uh, looking into like platforms and, you know, that's when I put it out through uh, a distribution company. It wasn't the smartest. Well, I'm not going to say it wasn't the smartest move, but it was the only move I had left. And that's because I spent like every dime I had (laughs) on that movie. So when I got to the finish line. I didn't have the money to actually put it out
1: to promote it.
2: Right. Well, no, I was, I had promotion money. I was, I was, I did the, I was doing promotion, but yeah, but I got to the finish line and when it got to like right here at the line, I did not have the funds to actually put it out. So I had to go through a distribution company and you know, the movie made money for them.
0: For them. Uh, <laughs> for them.
2: But yeah. and that's another thing when you're an independent filmmaker, The the truth of the matter is most times when your first film comes out, you're not going to see any money from it. You're not going to see a penny from it. And we used to say this, you know, even in the music industry, when you get in the door, you got to decide, are you going to get it with grease or without? Because that's (laughs) unfortunately, that's the toll that you got to pay to get in. But I was aware of that. And I looked at it as a business decision. So I just make sure that I, I structured my contract so that I would not be in that, that contractual agreement very long and so in my mind I used this distribute this distribution set, um, situation just as an opportunity to get the movie out and to build buzz about it I used that for promotion so I, I already was I wasn't even look expecting to get money from it but my my sites were on the end of that contract because by then now people know about my movie it was playing on on, on a, a well-known network. You know, even though I didn't get the money for it, but it was playing on a well-known network. So now, I recently became a free agent. I own everything with the film. That means all monies that 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 are collected go to me, my entertainment company, and man, man, it's been great. I'm not even gonna lie to you; it's been great. But I understand the the, I understand the difficulties that independent filmmakers have to go through when they're putting out their the project, especially if funding is, is an issue. And I'm, I've always been apprehensive about, you know, playing with other people's money, but I understand the value in, in, I guess, networking and things of that nature. So when it comes to like, let's say pooling resources amongst black people like that, I'm all for that. You know, I think we need more trust and we could build a lot more institutions, including uh, media, entertainment. Absolutely. So for that, I'm all for it. But when it came to my movie, I guess my business model was, listen, if I'm not willing to invest my own money into this, like who else is going to be willing to really, you know, stand out there on a limb with me? So I think I've shown and proved that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to invest 100% into it. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not into throwing away money. You know what I'm saying? So I think that actually makes a good impression for any future projects because I've been getting some nice little offers in the background. People know the story. And brothers, I've been working on some I got some things in the tank. They're good.
0: They're going to be big. So Tony, the whole process was from from your vision to the end of the movie was it less than a year then cuz I'm It was okay, yeah. It was No, I'm going to say it was about 2 years. Two years, okay.
2: okay. Two years, like the majority, like, you know, the pre-pro, the production, everything. Uh, we did all of that in, let's say, a little less than a year, but then the next year was just all the processes that you go through the red tape in order to get the movie released. So, it took about two years. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of standard nowadays when, when you do these films, about two years.
1: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Um, I think that uh, some points that you made that are extremely valid is number one is I tell my clients all the time. You can't expect anyone to invest more in you than you invest in yourself. Right. So you've got to be willing to go. And there are going to be times and people need to understand this, whether you're talking about being an entrepreneur, whether you're talking about uh, doing something collective in the community. And I think that it's important that we're having this conversation. We have a lot of conversations and we talk about things on a collective level. I think it's really important that we talk on a collective level, but we're only as good at collectively as we are individually. True. So it's, in, it's important for us to develop ourselves uh, as individuals. And the thing is that you have to be willing to better yourself and you have to be willing to invest in yourself and you can't expect it. And there is literally going to be points. Where the only person that believes in what you're doing is you. You. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. And and, and you've got to be good with that because we are people, if you really think about it, we spend a lot of time trying to earn the approbation of other people. We want their approval. We want their validation. We want their acceptance. And when we don't get it, we don't feel whole. And and we're never going to get what we need to get. As long as we're behaving that way, as long as we're thinking that way, we are only gonna be the true fullness of who we are when we're able to sit up and say, you know what, this is who I am, this right. is what I can. I have a story to tell. You told your story through film, before that, you told your story through through uh through music, yeah. And then before you know, in the middle of that, you're about to tell your story as an author. And I think so. At some point, you're gonna revisit that. Okay. Okay, and and Doc, as an author, as a scholar, you've told your story. Okay, the thing is, everybody has a story, but very few people are telling their story. They're too busy trying to unlive it.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. They're too busy trying to unlive it. I don't like my story, but the thing is, tell your story because in
2: telling your story, it gives you power to change your story. And, it and also that gives you power to help change other people's stories. Only, I only that because so many people are going through like what you think is unique to you. So many times you don't even realize how many other people are going through that. And as a black man and father, brothers, you don't understand how Look, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. Just knowing how many people this story reached and how many people it seemed like it was therapeutic for them i'm literally getting goosebumps and that's what happens when you feel when you feel that sense inside of you that you've really impacted uh, someone else's life and that's what it all has always been about for me about impacting change and and in other people's lives and and rebuilding you know these connections that we have with each other because there is so much misunderstanding <laughs> Yeah. In our relationships, and you know, while this is my first movie, listen—you you watch it, you're not going to think it was my first movie. But you know, it, it's
1: yeah. I mean, it, it did that didn't show uh, that that did not show in the quality. It did not show in the attention to detail. It definitely didn't show in star quality. Uh, and so, you, you know, when I when I look at it, I I, I could have swore, man, that you had other films before that. You know, and I'm saying like, you know, he had other films. I just didn't know about it. He finally, and I'm thinking, okay, he finally hit because this is it. And then you hit it right out the gate. But I think uh, one of the reasons you hit is that the story was authentic. Yes. The story came from the heart. The story resonated. And I don't think there's anything more powerful in art imitating life. Yes. And a lot of times people say, well, life imitates. No, art imitates life. Art is an expression of how people live. And when you're able to tell that story uh, with clarity, with specificity, and with intent, and you can touch people. See, people experience things through their emotions. Mm -hmm. And the more that you can get them to experience it through their emotions, the more it resonates and the heavier the weight and the more they retain. Uh, that's why the best teachers are teachers who get their students up and get them moving and get them caught up in music. Why? Because it tantalates the emotions. Well, because your film touches the emotions, it's able to drop some very powerful seeds at the height of the emotion.
2: But you see what you're saying about emotion? See, I think people, we discount the, the emotion in Black men. And I think that it connects to black men on an emotional level. And so often we just kind of dismiss, you know, black men as having emotion. uh, uh, Generally speaking, if you want to be honest,
1: we're not allowed to have them. Right. If you're honest, in an open space, we're not allowed to be vulnerable. We're not allowed to feel or have emotions. We're considered weak. you acting like a woman. Yes. You, You got all this. You can't say... That I'm I'm struggling mentally because now you're crazy. Yes, and, and so there's no space now, even for our sisters, and this is not to discount our sisters. Anybody who knows me knows I go go to bat. Matter of fact, me, me and Doc have squared off because of how hard I go for our women. You know, uh, because I, I I know what our sisters have gone through, and you know, I I, I look at what my wife went through alone as a child. And you know, so I understand why you're angry. I understand why you're afraid. I understand why you don't trust. I understand why you look at me in the way you look at. I definitely understand that. But on the other side, at the same time that these young girls are growing up and going through this, they are young boys growing up with them in the same household that are under the same abuse that are going to be impacted differently because they're males.
2: And they're right,
1: and and they're the ones growing up marrying your daughters. And so you're expecting them to do better than the girl that came up in the house under the same pressure and torment. And that's the difference. We're not given a space. There's a place for women to go. It's okay for a woman to say, I'm scared. It's okay for a woman to say, I'm frightened or I'm hurt. I'm angry. We don't have that. If If we express our anger, we're violent. We're aggressive. Right. You know, so there's no place where we can actually say, look, I'm not feeling good today. I'm having a bad day. And we need to create those safe spaces because that's where healing takes you. If if you if you are all scratched up and banged up and you're out there, and you've been chased by a tiger through the brush. And you're all scarred up, you need to heal. The one place you're not going to heal is in the brush. Right. Right. You're going to have to get to a space where there's sunlight, where there's uh, openness where there won't be re-injury so that you have time to heal. And that's just it. We don't feel safe because if we don't want to be declared weak, we don't want to be declared crazy, so we don't stay want to in the be,
2: brush. We right. stay there. So
1: you stay in the brush and it's destroying you.
2: That's that's kind of like, that that's that's actually a pretty good analogy that describes my movie because my movie I largely created as a safe space (laughs) for black men. Think about it. It's the safe space where you can see the representation of black men of, of the, the also elusive good man (laughs) that, you know, that, that we think doesn't exist in, in the black male community. You can see that you can see that black man as being vulnerable. You can see him wearing his heart on his sleeve. You see him loving on his children You see all of these things and now, hey, you can see how that can be desirable because I think so many people don't think that men like Brave Williams, who is the main character in this movie, exist. They don't think that, you know, most, come on, even me, when I'm watching this guy, remember, he's depicting in a lot of respects, he's supposed to be depicting me, you know? I gave him some artistic freedom with it, but there were points I'm looking at this dude and I'm like, damn, this dude is a cornball. And then I had to kind of stop myself, like, wait a minute. That's 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 this societal per- perception of of what I'm so sub- I think black men are supposed to be, you know, as opposed to what's being presented in front of me. Because when you look at this guy, fine. At first you might say, This dude is a corn, but then when you continue to watch it, you're like, damn. This
1: but that, is that, this is the, this is the guy that black women are saying they want. Now, are they ready to receive him in all instances is, is, is a whole nother discussion. But right. when I look at this guy and I look at the three men sitting on this panel and any other man that I associate with, that's that guy. Now, he may not talk yes. like that. It may be a little like with Michael, like like what I, Doc, what I got, Michael Jordan, a lot more street slang coming out. But the heart of gold, a father that will die for his kids. Matter of fact, his kids are with him more than they are with their mom. They're not. Right. He, and and he I mean, he's got all his kids. he don't got one of them off in the college. And he's that dude. And those are the kind of men I'm, I don't I'm not around men who are mistreating women. I'm not around men who are not handling up on their kid. But what I'm telling you, as a man who has I was a single father. Mm-hmm. my kids were with me all the way through high school. I was a single father. But what I'm telling you is that's another side to that story that may- made it a reason why I was a single father. Right. That nobody wants to give you credit for or acknowledge. Right. And actually my wife has gotten angry with me because I won't tell that story. No, I will not put my children's mother on blast. Even if it means I look bad, that's me personally. But Bro. then, but then I'll tell you what, There are a bunch of brothers out there that have called me a simp because I won't go blast black. No, that's still my child's mother. Yes. And the thing is, no matter who she is or what she is, I chose her and chose to procreate with her. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a man. I'm strong enough. Mm -hmm. But what I had to find out, though, is the only way I can stay strong enough is I got to find other man that I can lean into that can understand what i'm going through that'll sit up and say it's okay to feel that way
0: that hey, it's okay I, to i have a i have a co-worker who is a, a single father and uh for the past few years we've talked about his challenges of being a single father and i know tony can probably speak to this some of the things that he's gone, gone through he's raised his son from a baby and the son Sam. is 19 now and mm-hmm. so when he talks to me you know it's a form of of venting because it, it it's just him you know raising a, a child and I think part of uh single black fathers um beef is that you know they don't get the credit you know when 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 you hear about a black single father you'll hear people say oh well you, you know I'm not gonna give you credit for doing what you doing what you're supposed to do you know, right? You have the other side of that, and I'm not trying to create a gender war. Right, go ahead. You got one of them already. I'm not participating in that, but I am saying that there is not the same value for single black fathers that there are sign for single black, black, black mothers. That's just my lived experience. Tony could probably speak to that better than I could. Um, yeah, I can.
2: I know. I definitely can attest to that. And the funny thing is, I never. I've had custody of my son since he was, uh, since before he could walk, you know, and he's 14 now and I've never looked for praise or or anything like that, but it's different when you're, when you, when your role is being diminished, you know, not only by, you know, women, your peers, Uh, society, but also in the court system, you know, so, you know, we're at a, a heavy disadvantage and um, in the
0: school, and in the schools. When oh, you the school, oh my. At, what, what are you doing here? You know, are you
2: there are so many things that I have been through as a single father that you just wouldn't even believe, and you would just be shocked like, how they that, that can't be legal or no, that can't really happen. And it really <laughs> happens. We're treated as like fifth class citizens, Absolutely. you know, and, and our, our roles, no matter how how positive an impact we are having on our children. It often gets diminished, and that's a tough state of mind. To that's a tough state of being to you know, be in. As you as know, question, I, I, go ahead.
1: I just did a video on that, and the the the, the title of the video I can't remember, but it, 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 I did it probably last week. You know, we've got to stop saying, "Why should we be praising him for doing what he should be doing?" Because we're the only group that does that first and foremost. No,
2: that's true.
1: We're the only group that does that. And it's the only time in the world that someone doesn't get praised for doing what they're supposed to do. Any other situation in the world, you get you get paid and a five percent increase just for showing up and doing what you're supposed to do every year at your job. That's right. Nobody sits up and says, well, no, you're not going to get a raise because you did what you're supposed to do every other way. Here's the bad part about it, though. The way that men are designed, regardless of race, is to be affirmed by affirmation of what they're doing. So when you tell a man you're doing, I love what you're doing, when, especially when it comes from a woman, when she sits up and says, you handling your business. I love that. Yeah, I'm supposed to be paying the bills. But my, my problem is when, when you sit up and say, why should a man, why should he be praised for doing what he should be doing? He's doing what he should. But here's the problem. You're supposed to do whatever you can. So as your capacity to do more increases, you're supposed to do more. So there's never going to be a time where he's doing more than he should. So when do you acknowledge him? Because the more the more I've been able to do, the more I do. And I, I expect that. And I don't want your praise. But don't tell me I'm not doing what I should. Don't don't act like what I'm not doing is just as important as the single black mother.
2: See, and that's that's all rooted in, you know, anti-black misandry. And we don't talk about that enough. Yeah. And And the reason why, even though, like, I don't need praise for any of that stuff, but I understand the need for it because it dispels the narrative that we've been trapped under for so long about, you know, these no-good black men. Absolutely. So I understand why it is necessary. And, you know, it breaks my heart. Uh, quite a lot yeah because other groups don't do that to to within their community and right we we don't realize sometimes we've just been programmed into this and you know devaluing black men and if you're devaluing a black father i mean it's quite i mean it's not hard to understand how you will also be devaluing black sons but single so,
0: black fathers are, are all, all but invisible. We think they don't exist. Yes. There are, and, lot, th- there are a lot. There are a lot of them. You know, black fathers. Listen, we I spend, like, their kids from, from a baby to adulthood.
2: There are a lot of them. I mean, listen, unfortunately, I was trapped in the court system for like the, the first six years of my son's life. Unnecessarily. And this was, it was just basically harassment and trying to punish me, you right. know, for for not doing certain you know i I don't see this is the funny see this is the funny part it's like even though it's i i never ever want never spoke ill of my son's mother no matter what we went through right because i never wanted to taint his relationship with her or his uh, the balance right right but at the same time we have to get to a place where we understand and now this is not every situation but in some situations Unfortunately, that co-parent is not providing balance. Exactly. And I found myself at a place where I kind of started to believe that I was betraying my son by misrepresenting who his mother was at that time. So my decision at the time was, and I told her this, was to step back and allow him to draw his own conclusion from that relationship with her. As opposed to me always trying to come in and save the day and say, no, 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 she's not. No, she's she loves She's going to do this. I'm and not going to do that anymore.
1: As a single father, I can relate to that. I, I I called it filtering. Yes. The experiences that my children were getting with their mom, I filtered them. Well, maybe this is what's going on. Maybe that's what's going on. Hey, hey blah, 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 blah. And plus, I always demanded and still demand to the date. And those kids are not in their 30s. And so, but I, I, I demanded you will respect your mom.
2: That's right.
1: I don't care what's going on. You know, the thing is I filter, but, uh, but, but, but my grandmother who was alive at the time told me you need to step back. Don't ever say anything ill. Stop filtering. Right. Because the hell you're catching in the house is because they're seeing something that isn't there. Right. Let them make up their mind. Don't taint her. Don't dirty her. But let the truth be seen. These kids are not stupid. Let them evaluate it, come up with their own conclusion and then
2: leave it up to her to fix
1: what she broke.
2: Right. Because you may unwittingly become complicit in their in your children's eyes. And I did not want that to happen anymore. Because remember, as a single parent, I'm watching my child suffer. I'm watching him suffer. So I can't keep filtering as you say when i know better when i know what it is so i decided that what the role i'll take is to be there to catch him where he when he falls i'll be that support system for him to offset maybe some of the the,
1: disappointment uh,
2: the disappointments and those things you understand so i i get that listen i was at a point when i was like you know like let's let's just use an example not saying me but uh, let's say your child never gets birthday presents or they never get Christmas presents. And as a father, You feel like, damn, that's messed up. You know what? Let me just get a couple of extra gifts and put that name on it. You know what I'm saying? To just make them feel like they're getting that equal love and balance. But after a while, as a parent, you might start to say, damn, I better stop doing that. You know, because one, you're lying to your kid which can be crippling them when it, when, when they get to know the, the reality of that other parent that they're dealing with. You understand? Because I, you don't ever want to, I think it's a parent's job to, to guide and support their children. But I don't think that we should step in and protect them from their own ability to discern what is in front of them. Because if we're raising our children to be critical thinkers, to be observant, to learn, grow, um, understand, and be strong. Yes, we protect them, but we cannot shield them from the realities in life. We have to better prepare them for the realities, but not hide them from it. Because sooner or later, they're going to face it. And the longer you take to prepare them for it, is the it, you're going to put them at more of a disadvantage when they finally uh Encounter it.
1: Valid point. Let me draw the parallel for the sisters who are going to watch this because we have a, 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 a predominant, we have a majority female uh, audience that watches this show. Probably fifty-two to forty-eight. Not not a whole lot, but a slight difference. Somewhere between four and six percentage points more females.
0: That's
1: pretty. Uh, good and they they are definitely more interactive. They comment a whole lot more than oh, the right. men do, which is kind of like how we are. We don't talk. We don't express ourselves. But we feel we see him going. Let me draw the parallel for you, sisters. What he's explaining is what most single mothers go through, covering for the dad on the high side. Now, some single mamas trashing the hell out of that. And some dads deserve it. But I actually feel like if that dad is trash, let the kids see it for themselves. And there'll be lo- less animosity towards you towards the end. Because the more you trash dad in the beginning, he ain't seeing it. She ain't seeing it. She's seeing you trashing dad. Y'all are going to have problems. It's going to make it very difficult for you. On the flip side, there are a bunch of moms doing exactly what to- uh, what Tony and I did as Single Parents, where we're literally covering and think we're protecting the kid. And yes, a bunch of women have done that for years. All we're asking is to acknowledge the fact that there are brothers out there doing it too. Right. And give it the same level of gravity that you give it when it's you.
2: Yeah, like on Mother's Day, like yeah, what
1: happened? Yeah. On Father's Day? prime prime example, Mother's Day, you getting trips, you getting 200 dollars this, three hundred dollars that, four hundred dollars that. We get socks.
2: <laughs> yep, yeah. and Father's Day, you get so many women being, uh, oh, happy Father's Day. Right, mother and father.
1: I have never been. I have never on Mother's Day been told Happy Mother's Day, ever. And And I was single father years. You know what I'm
2: saying? I don't need to. You know.
1: You know. But I'm not asking for that. I'm not a mother. Never have been a mother. Cannot be a mother. And I understood that. But what I'm saying is that's the disrespect men get, and we and people don't understand why it's frustrating is because there's not a
0: balance. Right, there needs to be balance.
1: You right. want us to acknowledge your plight. Please acknowledge ours. Please acknowledge that every black man out there isn't out to get you. Mm-hmm. Uh, every every situation isn't the same. And what I think we need is what you talked about, where uh, there has to be a a, a, a better media representation And you and I and, and, and Doc you'll probably want to participate in this But Tony definitely you and I need to get together And talk about ways that we can expand this further Because yeah. that's what we need The media is presenting an image Of black men and the thing is Like you said single fathers aren't represented Why? Because there's no positive uh uh Benefit For the ones who control media For there to be an image of a black man Who actually steps up who actually handles his business, who actually loves his kid, that's not the narrative. The what, what's the image that's amplified of black men are the small percentage who are criminal criminalized. The small percentage who are absent yep. fathers. Yep. And when we talk about absent fathers, we don't talk about the absent fathers who are absent because mom are is forcing the issue of the absence. Right. We talk about we talk about those who don't want to be there. We don't talk about the ones who are trying to be there. And get far on every corner, and don't have the leverage in court to do it. Where there's a there's an unequal leverage arm in court. That's very real, father. That yeah, is extremely real. real. The moment you walk in there, you're viewed different. Listen, it's not equal. You're not being viewed equal. And, and in in an instance where a father's trying to be there, the level of and burden of proof is so
2: much different. It's it's automatic. We also don't talk about the fathers who are absent in the home, but still ever present in the child's life. And that's a huge um, number that we really need to acknowledge because um, we're overrepresented as not being involved in our children's lives when
0: realistically
2: and statistically, black men are more present in their children's lives, whether it be inside the home or outside the home. Then, then let's say it. let's go ahead and say it. Then, then white men, then white men, and, and actually than any other demographic, right? Like this is this is like these are legitimate numbers. Yeah, so somebody's lying to us. And you said you know that there's no benefit in showing single black fathers in a positive light, right? We know there's no benefit, but no benefit to who? Because there is a benefit in showing that, but who benefits from seeing that imagery? Black families. Black right. women, black children, black men, the black community. We benefit from that representation, which is why we have to understand that there is no healing. See, there's no separate healing of black women and then a separate healing of black men. It's it has always been a a, a group project. We have always listen. We have to heal together in order to repair these relationships. So you know once and, and that does require humility because unfortunately and and i may offend some of your, your your female viewers here when i say this but unfortunately black women have been placed whether they wanted it or not but black women have been placed in uh um in uh oh god what's what's the what's what's the word i want to use without sounding sounding offensive they've been placed in more of a leadership uh position when it comes to the um our community they have been placed in a position where you know they weren't necessarily may not necessarily have wanted it but they've been placed as the head of pretty much everything that guides you know the politics of the black community um, Even economically, black women are kind of placed ab- above black men in this country. And I think that it, it it's harder to take black men seriously when you're used to paying all the bills or when you're used to being praised by the media and told everything is so good and wonderful about you and everything is so much magic and great about you, but black <laughs> men ain't shit. So I think it becomes very hard for you to take those men seriously and listen to them and allow them um, some degree of value in their voices, because it's almost like, please, like, like you know, you know how some you, a kid is going to try to step up to the parent and challenge the parent. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of our women, when they, when we try to use our voices, you look at us and you are like, please, who are you? Get out of here! Like, you, right. you don't have a thing. Right. This, and I think now I'm saying all of that to say. If so many entities are against black men having a voice, someone is gonna have to listen. If 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 we're truly interested in having a good a real conversation, and that's black women, and sometimes when black men share how they feel, it is taken as insult by some of our women, or like a, a challenge. Yeah, and yeah. we don't necessarily have to have this adversarial relationship with each other sometimes it's as easy as just humbling yourself and just listening (laughs) to another point of view yeah yeah and And black men are not listened to we're not but the only people that we want to be listened to by is y'all black women just hear us that has been the number one complaint of all black men that i've ever met from from throughout my life no one listens to us so if that's the majority complaint just maybe listen
1: and i i I gotta share this uh somebody i consider a colleague uh a distant mentee and also a client now dr sherry tumlin is on and she uh she wrote she's being facetious and it's funny but she said now let's be honest gentlemen for father's day what men really want is a good meal and goodies I'm not gonna even try to figure out and define what goodies is. I'm not. I'm not gonna do it. But he says one of one of my clients uh, told me he worked hard for his money. Then his children took his money and bought him gifts. <laughs> bought him gifts for Father's Day. And, you know. But I, I I just thought that 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 was kind of funny. But the thing is, I don't want expensive gifts for Father's Day. The the, the comparison for Father's Day and what mothers get is the gravity and the respect and the level of relevance. I mean relevance that mothers have as far as fathers have and the importance to the home and the importance to the upbringing of the child is equal, different, but equal, but it's, but we live in a society that values it different. And then where it's not just in the black community, but the black community is least capable of taking the weight of the way that imbalance is done. Right. See, White men can deal with not being valued the same as white women because they control everything. They control. They have the power. Right. So they can. But where you're in a situation where you don't have that type of power, you now are not even valued in your own home. Right. Matter of fact, if you look at it because of the way this this world on the West, this Western Hemisphere, Hemisphere deals money. The black man has been commodified. Yep. And so if you go down and, and you look at all the conversations about black manhood that's being had, and it's predominantly a female uh, Driven group domination. of people discussing it, can he pay all of your bills? Mm-hmm. Not is he contributing financially, not is he, a, and see, the thing is the conversation I had with uh, Dr. V uh, the one, the one who's doing the convention for healing women that says healing with him. And i tell you how to, and one of the things she mentioned is in that, is that being a provider is more than just about money that's right but that's not the narrative being presented being a provider is are you providing a safe space are you providing an environment for healing do your children and your wife feel comfortable uh you know uh are you providing trust are you in providing an environment of behavior for trust can you be depended upon in emotional times all of these things are part of being a provider. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're capable of handling it, handle it. But don't, don't be diminished in your manhood because you may only be able to pay 75%. Don't be diminished because you may have say, baby, you need come on. Something my grandmother told me, and my grandfather was the undisputed head of our house. He didn't rule with an iron fist. He wasn't bossy. Matter of fact, he was real quiet. When it came to the affairs of the house. But whenever something boiled down to it had to be a decision made, it was his. Unquestionably his. And my grandmother explained it to me. She said, Well, if something goes wrong in this home, guess who's going to get blamed for it? That's right. He is. And if he's going to be the one getting blamed for it, he should be the one making the choice. Now she says, The reason why I trust him is not because he's perfect, not because he has always made the right decision. But because even when he's wrong, he fixes it. That's right. And she said, that's all you can ask of a man, baby. Be the man who, when you're wrong, acknowledges you're wrong and fix it.
2: How many people acknowledge that they're wrong nowadays?
1: That's the problem. But see, now it's a tug of war. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong because of how they feel that comes down on them. So now it's not about being right. Now it's not about being the best you can be. Now it's about winning.
2: Yes, and that translates to so many facets of society today. It isn't even just in relationships anymore. It's just, it, 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 it makes us averse to new information. Everybody is, is the master and the professor of their own world. Like everybody knows everything. And that's what we, that's, yeah. we're trapped in that state today. And, and people don't understand how it, it correlates. But I'm telling you, when you're building a society where everyone thinks that they're right, no matter what and everything is based upon your truth you're you're building a society that is trapped in a delusion and it makes it much easier to conquer its people i'm telling you
0: hey tony i i I coined the word the toxic unteachable a few Mm. years ago that's what i call the people that you're talking about Mm. they know everything about everything you can't tell them shit so then you just have to shut down you know but that's
2: scary. That's really scary. It is scary. That's why that. I invest so much in my my kids and, and the younger and the generation. generation.
0: And the most unread you are, the more you think you know, the more they dig in, right? And, and the higher and, the, the more experience and education a person has, even in the field of education, uh, the more the the more the disrespect. Doc, you know.
1: Yeah, I get a lot of I get a lot of that. Uh, doctor Tomlin uh, has mentioned the fact that more couples. Uh, need to be willing to go to therapy, and that uh, the church has failed to support that narrative. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the biggest problems we have is the dynamic of the church, even in the dynamic of the church. You may have a pastor as a leader, but the force of that church has always been the women. Mm-hmm. I right. remember reading a book uh, a couple of decades ago uh, called The Church Impotent by Leon Pottles, and it talked about. The force of and the dynamic of the church and it, it's it's interesting but you got to understand a lot of the things that we're suffering from even when we talked about childhood sexual abuse uh uh some time ago uh the church didn't deal with that right matter of fact a bunch of church leaders men predominantly were advising wives not to report the husbands mm-hmm. uh because that will pull the husband out the house and. All of these other things would create the imbalance. That wouldn't be a provider and a bunch of other things. But here's the other problem that we have to look at when we start talking about, and I deal with couples counseling. I I, I do it. Uh, and obviously I do uh, individual singles and all the other stuff, but I do couples counseling. Here's the problem with it. That there is a natural reluctance of black men to seek professional help because of the stigma associated with it and how they feel they'll be viewed. Also, You've Got to look at another, understand me. Black men have not failed, black men have not fared well when mediators come into their environment. Yep, and this goes all the way back to the 50s when uh social workers were coming into the home to help them figure out their financial situations and introduce social programs. Black men didn't fare well in that mediation, and so black men don't trust people That's coming right. in. And unfortunately that leaves us at a situation where we're trying to figure out things where we actually do need help. We need professional help many times, but we don't seek it because we don't trust it. Uh, man. I mean, I have male clients. Some of them have come to me voluntarily. The younger group were, were drug kicking and screaming either by wives or by mothers. And it took me literally weeks to get them to believe, Oh, you Okay. Okay okay. Okay. And then eventually we start talking, but we don't trust.
2: Actually, you know what? On that topic of, of black men seeking like, you know, mental health services, things of that nature, that has been like a, a taboo <clears throat> subject for a while, you know, with black men. But I will say this as a, a, a black man, a black man, myself, who, um, I, I consider myself to be a very, a fairly strong and centered individual. I think that it is an absolutely wonderful decision for Black men to go seek counseling, to go and, and seek therapy. I'm telling you, I've done it. I didn't do it because I was ordered to do it or it was suggested to me. I actually decided that, you know what, I need to talk to somebody and I need to see if I can figure things out. So my approach to therapy was was more for discovery purposes, understanding more about myself and understanding even from more of an analytical approach of maybe how I can better navigate my 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 family relationship situation in order to make it better. Because sometimes we don't understand. We just can't control what other people do but we can control how we respond to things. And I will tell you, you know, it's not, I know it, it may seem uncomfortable when you first go in there, but I think it also matters who you go to, you know, when you seek therapy and personally, as a black man, I believe that black people need to go to black. black uh, absolutely. Absolutely. That is that's crucial. Absolutely. I went to, you know, I went Several times, I went, listen, I, I tried it. I went to several different people trying to find the best fit. You know, white women, white men, because that's, they're, they're the ones. Who that's the predominant. Us. Right. right. Yeah. But I, I I came to understand that there's nothing like being able to, as a black man, to talk to another black person Absolutely. A, about your issues and, and the things that are bothering you. And and I'm telling you, man, it's it's helpful it changes right. you i'm telling you just try I, it i
1: agree 100 percent uh i uh, based on feedback based on things that i can actually put up as quantitative uh proof i believe i'm one of the leading uh uh therapeutic specialists in the area of african-american uh uh dealing with trauma dealing with personal development, dealing with self-improvement, dealing with the restructuring of the self-image is where I focus. What I'll tell you is I have two professionals that I go to because I have to decompress because I'm an empath because I literally feel what makes me good at what I do is I can literally feel yep. so I can connect and I'm not distant. And the, 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 the reality that I'm helping a person deal with is an abstract to me. I connect with it. So then I know I have to decompress. Then being a man in a home where you are the provider, where you are the protector, where you are expected to do things, that comes with a level of stress. As a black man, that no other person can understand. And so you need to also be able to seek someone in that instance. Also, I'll say this and then doc you can you can you can uh interject what we also have to understand why it's important, the, t- the point that Tony made, why it's important and why he's way more comfortable with dealing with someone that's black. It's the simple culture uh, is an influence in how you operate and how you literally intervene with a person when you're talking about therapy. But more importantly, uh, as Dr. Amos Wilson uh, has taught us, as Dr. Naeem Akbar has taught us and as I have worked uh, following their work, is the psychology of the black man and the black woman is different than the European. And so the European concepts and constructs of psychology don't fit because the experiences are a huge part of the psychology. And if you don't have a direct understanding of that, there's no way that a white person can have the experiential uh, awareness to be effective in dealing with the psychology of a person that is totally di- on a different spectrum than them. You can have the basic construct of understanding how psychology works. You can understand cognitive therapy. You can understand the cognitive behavior therapy. You can go back to you know, psychodynamic theory. You can go back to all the basics and all the nuances and all the things that are coming out. But at the end of the day, how does it apply? What about their experience can you connect with? Because that's how you reach them. Right. And then when you, di- when you pull back those layers, and you get to the source of the problem, which is what you should be doing,
2: how do you understand it if you've never lived it? I gotta just say something real quick. Go ahead. It's kind of, here's an example of why I think it's very important that black people seek therapy with other black people. And it goes to the same disconnect that you're talking about when it comes to Europeans and, and, you know, and, and African people of the diaspora. Right. Yeah. You know, I went to, I remember one uh, therapist I went to go see it was a white woman. Right. And I'm talking to her about things. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really getting deep into this. I'm trying to share and try to see some solutions. And if you saw her face, like as I said, certain things. Like all I saw was just so much shock on her face, and I guess maybe it's like a cultural difference, right? Yeah. But all I know is that one visit ended with a call to child services. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, she called child services on uh, my kid's mother. But it, 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 listen, I'm not going to get. But it was not anything that warranted that. So when I look at the way, like, there's a very a big difference in the way white people in this country look at i guess the way they raise their children or the, the dynamics of relationships familiar relationships the, fam- the family
1: dynamic and life experience period
2: and it had nothing to do with like beat spankings or nothing like that but it's just that we we think so differently there's no real connection because the moment i started to try to connect it immediately ended with some type of punitive uh actions and I think that's a very good uh, display of what happens when Black people, you know, default to white people, you know, and, and in in looking for I guess a clearer view or vision when it comes to their lives because it's like damn I don't even, I can't even share with you because if I tell you too much you're gonna call the police on me
0: right <laughs> right 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 right
2: so, no let's
0: that- yeah, that's
2: true. And it was, and it's just, it was purely misunderstanding. You know, it could even just be the way, the language, the, the way we communicate. Like, I don't know if you guys ever seen, there was this thing, this guy, this black dude went into a bathroom in home Depot and he was like, man, Ooh, yeah, all better get out of here. Cause I'm about to blow it up. And they called the cops and said that he made a terrorist threat that he was going to blow up the store. Yeah. That
1: actually happened.
2: Yeah. That happened for real. That means, That <laughs> Right. Right.
1: Like, you know, and, 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 um, uh, something as simple as that, that, uh, that the cultural communication, the, the lapse, the lapse in understanding in that. And it, 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 can happen, uh, a lot more than you think, you know, um, that was an extreme situation, but it was real. And it happened right. because it happened, yeah. people, people don't understand that when someone, a black person walks off in the bathroom and says, I'm about to blow it up. <laughs> everybody knows what's about to happen. Get the hell out of it, Cause it's about to get funky, you know, but, uh, you know, to the wrong people, uh, it means something totally different because we are creative in our communication. Yes. And, you know, I mean, the whole idea of hip hop, you being in the music industry, well, everybody up here at some point is now in the music industry or have been. So when you start talking about communicating, the whole idea of hip hop was a new language. And it was not just only revealed in rap music, which is where everybody thinks of hip hop, they think about rap, no, it was in the clothing, it was in the communication it was in the poetry uh, it was in the direct uh, direct, direct but the thing is you came up with something like dope dope doesn't mean to them what it means to us right fly you know uh, you know fresh all of these different things that we came up with and i'm using the real simple things that everybody recognizes right. but there's a level of communication that is extremely creative that's ours that only someone else that only someone from the inside can understand, understand and really relate to and communicate. Yep. And so I think that part of us has also that, that the fact that that part of us is always suppressed because we're functioning in an environment where no one understands it. Right.
0: Yeah. And it so, yeah. Doc, it, it, it stretches across. We've had this conversation many times, even within education, but it stretches across education, mm. politics, every field of human endeavor. And, you know, in that we have to admit that the lineage and culture and lived experiences of people do matter, whether we're talking about education, right. whether we're talking about uh, counseling, services, therapy, what have you. You know, we don't exist in a vacuum, uh, you know, politically, culturally and, and socially. Uh, you know, it, somebody's interest is going to be protected or somebody's interest is not going to be protected. In that yep. issue um one thing i wanted to pivot with with tony on um we, we seem to be to me we seem to be stuck in a particular genre of movies either it's uh, a lot of murder and mayhem or we get involved in the slave movie or we get involved in you know uh white say a white savior movie yeah uh, can you speak a little bit about that and tell me where you think We need to go as, uh, because, you know, does, do we have the stomach for the type of movies that we say we want to hear, but then when we look at the numbers for the movie, it's somewhat different. I know I asked you a lot there, but
2: no, no, no. You're right. Listen, I, 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 the biggest issue I have with Hollywood with, with the movie industry is the horrible representation of black people. Um, Highlighted by the abysmal representation of black men where we're always represented as either criminals or uh, like uh, if we have money, it's because we're like drug dealers or athletes or, or celebrity, you know, it's, there's never, it's a very flattened perception, a flattened uh, representation of black life that is always presented to us through entertainment media. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do was to present another side that we all can relate to and which actually represents 90-something percent of us anyway. And the funny thing is, these stories, you know, these everyday nice stories, they exist everywhere else, but in but for, for Black people. Like I mean, we'll go to a we'll go to see when Harry met Sally or or all of these beautiful love stories that we see in white Hollywood, right? But when it comes to black people, we just don't seem interested enough in that. But
0: we want to see the dysfunction,
2: right? Because black dysfunction is very profitable. It, not only in you know the entertainment media, it's also in news media, you know, social media. Black dysfunction is profitable. And we need to just—we already know who benefits from the black dysfunction. But I think that it's important that, um, as filmmakers, we start to ch- change that representation. And it is tough. Listen, it is tough because everybody—you know—people are they've gotten kind of used to the ratchetness, you know, the 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 hood stuff, the love and hip hop type vibe stuff where. You know, it's not interesting unless you got two black women fighting and pulling each other's right. hair out. Right. The, or, the, Madea,
0: the Madea Mammy
2: uh, genre. Yeah, or the Mammy displays or the the, the, the the servitude movies, you know, with black slaves and butlers and this and that. Like, you know, black when Black History Month comes around, they celebrating black voices. All you ever see is black is, is slave movies and get with... That's not our voices.
0: <laughs> right. Those are, right. That's right. not
2: our voices. So... We need to continue to support independent black film. Absolutely. I, I cannot stress that enough because some of the best stories you're gonna find from independent filmmakers. We just may not have the, the big budgets and, and the you know the financial support as a lot of these other filmmakers, white filmmakers, let's be real, and other groups, but our stories are what influence culture. Absolutely. We set the trends right, you know, in so many ways. Listen, black stories are told all the time, but they're often replaced with white faces, and we don't even realize that we have none, the story. None of them in the barbershop,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> so, you, yeah, so you know what? We want to bring the stories that are told in the barbershop. Or the stories that that your grandmama told you or your aunties or your uncles, the the, you know, the stories that they went through back in the days. We have beautiful, amazing stories that we all can connect to because that's what that's what captivates your audience. When they can connect to it, when they can feel it, when they've experienced it, those experiences, we've gotten hooked on the experiences of others, you know, that we can't necessarily relate to. We just aspire to it you know it's glamorized so we're like oh ooh, I, I wish that could be us but we don't even realize the value in in, in so many of our own representations and our own stories so we just need to recondition the 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 imagery recondition the mind by continuing to to present more and more content listen at this point i don't care if if it's not shot the greatest you know what i'm saying because I do appreciate a great story and content. And I have noticed there has been uh, um, a a, a huge surge in content from black filmmakers, um, content creators. And I say, keep it coming, brother, keep it coming. Not everybody's going to have the best quality, but as you know, they continue to build their audience, you know, you can build a budget and you can start to, to get better quality, but, when you truly understand and you truly relate to storytelling, because I think we've just lost storytelling. That's mm-hmm. why you're seeing all of these remakes of all these old movies because they're out of ideas. Exactly. They're out of ideas. And now, you know, a lot of black black content creators, we got our copyright stuff together, so you can't just dip in and steal people's stuff like that anymore. So you see a lot of these larger studios and, and, and production companies, they're shopping for screenwriter there's they're shopping for for writers now because they want to take your stuff and you know slap another you know name on it but i say black people continue to tell your stories and black and and as the audience the consumers we have to support we can't keep talking about support black business and and you know when we see black businesses black creators we're not really following behind them that that's disappointing and i think that's you know we've kind of been conditioned into this mindset where we just look at black stuff as not interesting enough or not professional enough and bro at the end of the day that's where all the the true talent is in the black independent filmmaking community and I, i i would encourage people to just just delve into it more just look you know
0: that's interesting that you talked about uh, the lack of creativity. I just read an article just yesterday about how, you know, seventy some—I think it said seventy some percent of the movies uh, out are are remakes. So there isn't a whole lot of uh, creativity out there. I mean, there is, but uh, we're not we're not coming to the forefront like you say. And, That's right. Uh, yeah.
2: That's right. So you know, I I hope in some way to be able to impact some change in the industry, and I will. Let me not say I hope, because I know I will. Absolutely. And, know, know. And, I, yeah. and I'm going to tell you, right. I, I spoke, right. like, Clifton, Clifton Powell, like, we're, we became really good friends, you know, just after, you know, the movie. When I say that guy is so cool and down to earth, he's probably one of the most genuine people, if not the most genuine person I've met in this industry, in the, in the, you know, film entertainment, entertainment industry. He's very um uh giving, He's very supportive of the process. And, you know, I, I really respect that about him. You know what I'm saying? If you call him, hit him up, If he can, he'll he be there. If he could be there, he's going to be there to drop of a dime. You know what I'm saying? And that's the type of stuff that I like. You know, so one thing he said to me was that, you know, he, he said that he likened me to Tyler Perry, right? Now, no, not in content. <laughs> but, but, you know, he said to a bunch of people, like, you know, in LA and things like that. Like he actually talks about me. That man don't have to talk about me. I did right. one little movie, but he 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 goes out there and he networks and he tells people about me. And he's like, this guy is the next Tyler Perry, not because of that, but because of the business model of investing. Cause you know, Tyler invested a lot of his own money right. when he was doing his plays and all of that. So he had a good business model. So I think the business model is good, what I'm doing. But on top of that, I just want, our stories to be better absolutely you know i don't want it to always be some type of a minstrel show depiction just to make money you know i I, we have to rediscover how to we got to rediscover value in representation of black excellence because it is real and it's there absolutely
1: i think that's where we can end it at uh value in the uh uh, representation of black excellence. I I mean, I think that's what we talk about all the time, Doc. I think that's what, you know, 98% of my content is about black excellence, about challenging us to stand up. And it's immensely important. I, I, I think about when you talk about content and the volume of content that's out there that's uh, surrounded by uh, our Focused on presenting an identification uh factor for blacks. I think about uh, uh wow, d- name disappeared that quick, as much as I call his name. Uh, but he he uh he ran one of the largest PR for, for firms uh on the globe. Uh and he's he's uh CEO emeritus of the company, but he wrote a book called Brainwashed. And his name is gonna pop into my head as much as I quote him. Uh, Tom Burrell. Uh, Tom Burrell, he wrote Brainwashing. He talked about how the media was literally being used to create a black inferiority complex. Yes. So it wasn't only being used to present the image, a negative image of black people to other people. It was being used to reinforce an idea of inferiority among black people. That when you cast people as being criminal minded, as being uh, naturally inherent or inherently violent and, 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 and all of the other things that are not a proper representation of us as a whole. You get a large part of the community that buys into the new, the, the presented identity. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, if you wanna see the average black person get uneasy, let a black man with a hoodie walk in the walk in the space. Now hoodies weren't made for black men. Hoodies were just made, but you catch a black man, well, you know, hey, you know how we roll, doc, you know how we roll. But uh, but uh, the thing is, you immediately see black people get uncomfortable around black men when the truth of the matter is, yes, there are some criminal minded and extremely violent black men out there, but the you know, but there are more black men who are polite. And who are protectors and, and will defend you and will and and, and, and and be polite to you, be open the door for you, literally protect you and not know you. I've been that person. Here's the thing: who's gonna be the people to present that image? Who's gonna be the person to tell uh the story of Brave, his his character? We need more stories that present us in a light where we can see it so that people can start to feel. Yeah. You can't feel about who can feel for someone when the only image you got of them is killing somebody. Mm -hmm. That's the only time we make the news. Mm
0: -hmm. That's right. That's
1: the only time we make the news is when we're killing somebody. And
2: that's a very small portion of who we are. (sighs) When it comes to the whole entertainment sphere when it comes to the whole media sphere we have been programmed to see this this color as something that we should be afraid of right we don't we see it as something that we cannot trust that is that is basically what this society today's society has been built upon like so-called white supremacy it's nothing more than white inferiority complex so you know outside of the economic portion that we know it's, it's, it's a driving force of, you know, capitalism and other issues. But I just think the sooner we start to see um, black men as protection, as opposed to something, someone we should be afraid of, then I think things will change. So it is, it is imperative that we get more of these positive representations, because that's the best way to, you know, keep us as a marginalized community, keep us relegated to a position of being second class, third class citizens when we maintain this dysfunction. And how is that dysfunction maintained by continuing to have us see each other as adversaries as opposed to family? Absolutely.
1: And on that note, we're going to get ready to get out of here. Uh, as we stated at the beginning of the show, uh, we're still pushing the fundraiser for Black Man Lead. Speaking of Black Man, Black Man Lead, write a passion initiative for young Black males ages 4 to 30. Uh, the way that you can support the organization and what we're doing is will be listed. Also, the links to uh, the trailer of the film and how you can access the film and check it out. Look, it's, it's, it's all that. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. You can check it out for yourself. Check back in and tell us what you think of it once you've watched it. But it's there. Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to thank you, Tony, for dropping in. We're definitely going to be talking and working together, putting some stuff together, because I think it's immensely important. I think it'll be good to connect him with Neota as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And uh, uh, Neota is the brainchild behind all black news and all black media. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've been working on something for years to push out there and get going. Uh, She's a revolutionary mind in the true sense of the word. We are very Doc and I are very protective of her, but keeping her in the background. She's she's a force, but she's extremely gifted in promotion, and uh, I guarantee you, as far as uh, the distribution of your your material, she's a genius. You definitely want to talk with her uh, because. How I grew my previous channel that got snatched down because of haters, but how I grew it so rapidly was her basically uh, syndicating it. She took it. I didn't even know them two uh, scheming in the background. I didn't even knew it, and they just and and, I, and, I, and they made it happen. I'll just put it like that. And mm-hmm. so uh, we definitely that's what we've got to do. We're going to have to come together. Uh, I think we. One thing that uh, another issue that we have with black men, and and I'm going to be brief with it, but another issue we have with black men is we've been trained to be islands. We operate independently and we're out there going hard in and doing great stuff, but we're doing it out on an island by ourselves. And we haven't been trained to link up and empower one another and say, you know what? 20 is better than one. And That's 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 the goal that we cannot let 2022 pass us and have this kind of talent just right here. And we've had some bad black brothers on this show. We can't let the talent that's just here right now come out of 2022 and have not done something that totally shakes the world. It's absolutely unacceptable.
2: Just look out this year. I, I just want to tell you that, like what you just said is exactly my goal and what I've been working on, bringing in a collective of these talented brothers together. Because I know, like, just in my, where I come from, like, I know a lot of, like, really talented young brothers, but we're always doing this over here, and that one's doing their thing over there. And I'm like, bro, what if we bring it all together? We unite our resources and we create something great that will pull in all of our audiences together. Do you know? man there is so much success profit everything in just black unification when we come together and we we understand how to properly network with each other that's how we build institutions that's how we really build our power by group grouping where there's group economics you know grouping together in entertainment and storytelling
1: think tanks the, the idea of creating think tanks to literally de- develop the strategies of conglomerizing our efforts and so that we become a force that's the greatest fear of white America.
2: Ooh, somebody in your comment section wrote, Yes, come together and scale up. I actually like that term, scale up. Doesn't that sound like a nice, like, yeah, one? yeah,
1: absolutely. Matter of fact, we we'll put it on for everybody to see. I that like is, that. yeah. Exactly. That's it. That's what we've got to do. You know, one of the things, Doc, you and I talked about, and I know we need to get off, but one of the things you and I talked about was the fact that we've got all these independent personalities. And what ends up happening is the ego gets in the way. Right. And then we get to beefing with one another.
0: Right. We become competition instead of competition.
1: We see the competition instead of the opportunity. Yes. That's the problem we have. And if you notice, Doc, you and I have talked about this. People say, you know, we, you know some stuff that that I've had some interactions with other people that nobody else knows about. it, And people ask, well, why you don't put them on blast? Because it doesn't serve the collective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's right.
1: The only thing putting them on blast would do is serve my ego. Yeah. And my, my love for my people is bigger than my ego. So there's some things that I know about some of the people that everybody's big up in that... could could, could put things on the question, but that doesn't help. Right. Watch how other people do it. One of the things I did back in the day when I, you know, when I said that was the other me, I dealt in independent uh, gym. gym. I, I sold loose diamonds and stuff like that. So I dealt with Jews a lot. And one thing I found out quickly, there's a place in Houston where I got a lot of my stuff from, And it's an office business from the outside. You would never be able to know uh, what's in there, but it's protected by HPD. And you go in it, and every suite in there is an independent jewelry dealer. And it's cameras everywhere. You go in there. And what I would do is I would go in, and what I found out real quickly, and a a couple of the Jewish guys in there kind of took me in and and kind of taught me how how I was going to have to move around if I was ever going to really – uh, get a hold. But what I would find is I would go in and I didn't realize it was happening at first. I would go in and I would talk to one guy and I would say, and he would say, no, I'll, I'll sell it to you for this. You know, We're talking about certain clarity, certain weight, and a bunch of other things, certain cuts. And I'm like, okay. So then I'll go upstairs, two floors to another guy. And by the time I get in there, they're watching me on the camera. They know where I'm going. By the time I get there, that same quote, I mean, to the dying. Is what I'm gonna get. And they not, they might not even like each other, but they will not allow someone from the outside to come in exactly. and, and leverage them against one another exactly. to win. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he says, You're never gonna get a different price because we're not gonna allow you to use us against us. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn that. And so that's that's where we've got to be. We've got to learn how I'm not. That's why I've never stood up and came out and said anything. I might come out and talk about a behavior, but I'm not taking a shot. If I take a shot by name at somebody, I don't even think they're a part of the collective anymore. Like I go all out at Steve Harvey because I don't think he's bringing anything to the table for us. He's handling him. Good for him. But he's not a part of the community. Now people that are out there actually in, in their heart trying to give a human just like me. And I'm going to give them the space to be human. And I'm not going to come at you that way. If I got a problem with you, I'll call you hmm. and you will know how I feel about it, but then I'm done. Let's get back out there and go to work. We don't have to agree on everything, right. but let's come together on the things we do agree about on that note. I'm gonna get out of here, guys. It's been awesome, Absolutely. Tony. We'll, we'll be in contact. Uh, you you have access to him already, Doc. On, uh, so we can connect with him. Uh, but Tony, I know that you know we need to talk. We're gonna get together over the Absolutely. next week. And uh, everybody, thank you for dropping in. Uh, I finally got to bring somebody. It's been a while since I brought somebody. Doc get Doc could be ahead of me on the game. Doc Doc be like, here's the lineup for the next month. And he comes out I'm like you know. So I am like, hey man, I gotta get somebody on here. So here it is. It's been great. Everybody, thank you for stopping in. We are out of here. You guys have a great day.